0: Well, good morning, friends. Uh, What a joy and privilege it is to have you join us this Sunday morning for our 10.30 service. My name is Shabu. I have the great privilege to be one of the pastors here at Canterbury. And this morning, we're going to dive straight into it. We're going to be spending our time in John 17, which you would have heard read to you. But I, I want to firstly pray both for myself and also for you, whoever you are, whether if you're someone who's following Jesus or someone who's exploring who Jesus is. Um, So would you please pray with me if you're someone who prays. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Lord, my prayer is that we will see you in all its glory and beauty and truth as shown in John 17. Pray that you will protect us from distractions, that you would speak to our hearts, whether if we're someone who's seeking to see if you're true, or whether if we're followers of yours. May, as we see in the the background here, may we discover that you are the Messiah, that it's only in you we can have true life. Oh, Jesus, we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. John 17 is a powerful passage. If you're listening to the passage read to you, hopefully it stirred something in you because it is one of the most significant sections in the Gospel of John. Actually, it's probably one of the few recorded prayers that we have of Jesus. And John 17 has three focuses, I think. One, we're seeing Jesus praying for himself in verses 1 to 5. Then we have Jesus praying for his disciples that are surrounding him, are with him. And finally, he prays for the future disciples. People like you and me who are followers of Jesus. See, in verses 1 to 5, what has been unpacked for us is really showing the very character of who Jesus is. He's come for a purpose. And that purpose is something that he's been leading towards. Actually, earlier on in the Gospels, you'll keep hearing this statement, my hour has not come. But now... He turns around to the Father, who moves away from looking at the disciples, but now his gaze is towards the Father and says, Father, the hour has come. What is that hour? Well, in the Gospel of John, we know literally in a few hours he will go to his death. He will die on a cross for the sins of the world. And in this moment, Jesus' request is to the Father, glorify him. That, that the very word of glory is to say, glorify him in the very death that he's about to experience for the sake and salvation of many. Now, when we think of glory, we may water it down, but in this moment, Jesus is trying to say, Father, please bring praise to my name, magnify me, celebrate me, bring honor. To make me glorious, adorn me with lustre and clothe me with splendour, impart glory. To to consider something as excellent, show me as excellent. This word is a powerful, beautiful word. And this whole glory is going to be fully shown in the most unlikely way. It's going to be shown on a cross. And not only that, this glory is something that Jesus already has. At the very heart of this, what Jesus is doing is he's displaying who he is, the very character of who he is, that he is God. Jesus is asking for glory because he's the only one who has the right to ask for glory because of who he is. And not only that, because of the authority that he has. Have a look with me on the screen, these verses from John 17. It says in verse 2, Since you have given him authority, so he's speaking of himself, authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus' death will bring glory to his name but also this depicts that Jesus says he has authority over all of humanity. Now, what is this kind of authority that Jesus has? Because he's saying that he's the only one who can give eternal life. I want us to pause here for a moment. When we consider what eternal life is, I'm not sure what comes to your mind and your heart. And particularly if you've grown up in the Christian world, we may think and we may say, and rightly so, that eternal life is something that we're one day going to achieve or one one thing we're going to have one day, that time when we're in heaven, in eternity. And to some extent that's true, but I don't think that's the full picture. The statement here, you've got to remember who's listening in for this moment. See, as much as Jesus has gone to pray, it's not like he sneaked off somewhere; who's on his own. Most likely his disciples are listening in. And Jesus makes his radical statement that eternal life is not a destination. Rather, it is based on relationship. Eternal life is whether if you have relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, his son. Meaning, if you have trusted in Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, guess what? You have eternal life now. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, that should stir so much joy and hope and comfort in whatever season of life you're in. And I pray it does. I mean, I wonder if these were comforting words for the disciples to know that they are now experiencing eternal life and that being experiencing eternal life wasn't based on whether if they were a good Jewish person or from a Jewish religion, but whether if they had a relationship with Jesus or not it was based on do they know the one the true god do they know the one who's the true son the lord jesus christ who was sent and i wonder if these words were the kind of words that would bring them comfort in those moments when they're kicked out of their homes when they lose their status in society And maybe even when they were killed for their faith. No matter whatever happened in their life, I wonder if these were comforting words for the disciples as they lived for Jesus on mission for him. Because in this moment what we're hearing when Jesus says, Father, glorify me, we know that prayer has been answered. Jesus has been glorified. And that means for a disciple, not only that, not only has Jesus been glorified already, they are known. They are known to the creator of the universe because of Jesus. So Jesus' prayer for himself is a gracious reminder of what he has done, but also what we have now for those of us who know him. And the knowledge of knowing that we have eternal life is meant to bring us comfort and hope and security no matter whatever season we are in. And friends, if you don't know Jesus, this is the reality. You may think you can find eternal life in something else. Actually, you will not find eternal life in something else or someone else. You might even think eternal life can be achieved by being a good person. You can't. You need someone to step in. You need someone who the Father is pleased with. You need someone who the Father wants to glorify because he is the Son of God. You want someone who is willing to sacrifice himself because he is the perfect one. We would invite you to consider this Jesus we would invite you to explore who Jesus Christ is you would come to realize he is the only one who has authority to give you eternal life and we pray that you will maybe even embrace or explore that today and so Jesus prays for himself and now his focus moves towards his disciples that are immediately in front of him Verses 6 to 18, he prays and he prays requests for his disciples. And if you look at those verses, they're filled with so much beauty and wonder. But as I was meditating on these verses, I sort of thought to myself, Are there things that Jesus is saying? Would I interrupt him and say, Jesus, are you sure about those kind of requests you're asking on our behalf? I wonder what was going on in the disciples' minds as they listened to the to Jesus Christ praying these uh, prayer requests for them. So what we find is that in the few verses in front of you Jesus prays and he's focused on what he has done that Jesus has made known to the disciples or another way to put it he's revealed to the disciples who God is who the father is not only that the disciples have responded to the word that Jesus is the word They responded to him being the Messiah, they believed in him, that Jesus himself is God. And as this is the foundation, now Jesus asks specific things for the disciples. He asks the Father to guard them or to protect them. And you know what, the reason why he's asking is because he's about to leave, he's about to go to the Father, and and he knows while he was in the earth doing ministry with the disciples, he was doing that. Throughout the Gospels, you would hear the language of a shepherd, and that's the language here, that Jesus is the one who protected them, and he's actually done that task, except for the one that was going to fulfill scripture in that Judas, who was going to end up betraying Jesus. And Jesus cries to the Father on their behalf and says, Father, I'm coming home. Let their joy... and You've got to ask the question, what is the kind of joy that Jesus is speaking of? That joy, in a sense, is summarized in the knowledge of knowing who they are. Not only that knowledge of knowing who they are, but knowledge in knowing what Christ has done, what he has fulfilled. Friends, this is so important for the disciples, and this is why Jesus is praying this. Because if they don't have this, they don't have this sense of both security that they have eternal life. Not only that, that they are known to Jesus, that they they have faith in him and they believe, and there's this assurance that they have. As they are sent out into the world, a world that will hate them, it's so important for them to know they have this, that they have this joy, that they have this security because it is this joy that will keep them going in the mission. Actually, later on, if you read like places in Acts, and you read the stories of disciples who faced challenges and trials and persecution for the sake of the gospel, you're going to ask yourself, how can they keep going? Well, they could keep going because through the power of the Holy Spirit, the helper who would produce joy in them. They knew they were secure. And actually, in all of the lives of disciples, you will see that this prayer is fulfilled, including the guy writing this letter who would eventually be exiled for the faith. And though his last few letters that he wrote, he had such great joy. What Jesus is saying, and if you look here up on the screen, he says these interesting words in verses 15 to 16. I don't ask that you take them out of the world that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Uh, This is the moment where I am saying, if I was listening into this prayer, if I was one of the disciples, I probably would interrupt Jesus at this point. I don't know if you would do this. This is the moment I would walk up to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, that is amen. Amen to all the other stuff that you said and eternal life and, and the hope that we have and security and the great joy. Awesome. Now, just a question. Why would you not want to take us out of this world? I know you're going to guard us, but unpack that a bit more for me. Friends, this is what I love about Jesus' prayer in John 17. In a sense, he's not praying for what they think they need he is praying specifically what he knows exactly they need in other words or another way to put it is that Jesus is not praying for what they want Jesus is praying for what exactly they need the reason why Jesus is not praying for them to be taken out of this world is because the mission needs to continue And what astounds me is that Jesus knows that the people who will continue this mission are his disciples. And this is why he's praying for them. This is why he's interceding for them. Because he wants these disciples to be his mouthpiece for the mission ahead. That's a powerful thing when you think about the type of disciples that were there See, this is all grounded in their identity and who they are, knowing that they're not of this world. And that's why that language is there, that they're not of this world, meaning that they've been taken from this world and they now belong, in a sense, a new kingdom. It's an identity marker of a disciple. Like their master, they've been set aside or set apart for mission this is why in your translations you might see the word sanctify which is helpful but another way to put it is they've been set apart and the idea of sanctify is not something that we would use in our everyday language but in the jewish tradition it would have been quite normal the idea of being set apart and that's what i would say is a better way of putting it in this moment jesus and his prayer for his disciples is that he's asking the Father to set them apart for the mission. But see, their setting apart is not just some sort of thing that they're sort of being put into. The set apart has a purpose. It's founded on a truth. And you want to know what that truth is? It's based on who Jesus is, and you see that in verse 8. See, Jesus is asking the Father to set them apart in this truth, As Jesus himself has been set apart in order that they may carry on the mission past his departure to the Father. Um, This set apart and being set apart for God's mission, look, let's just be honest, sadly sometimes it's not something we fully understand. But we have images of that. When we used to gather on a Sunday morning in this place, when we have those moments where we're commissioning people, is a picture of that. That idea that they've been sent. And this is what Jesus is doing. In a sense, he's commissioning his disciples. He's doing a commissioning prayer over them. And this whole idea of Jesus setting them apart jesus uses interesting language here yes jesus has himself been set apart just as the disciples now are set apart but this is connected to a deeper understanding of what it means that jesus is set apart actually this is probably the best way to describe this It's up here on the screen for you in john chapter 1 verse 29 the next day He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus' using of setting himself apart again is a way of saying that Jesus himself has dedicated himself to do the Father's will. What is that? Jesus has been set apart to be the sacrificial lamb, to die on the cross. And this is the truth that the disciples build their whole life and foundation on of a ministry on. In other words, Jesus' sacrificial death for their sin is a truth that will be something that they will constantly and continuously come back to. Constantly and continuously be reminded of as disciples, as they join Jesus in his mission to a lost world. That's why constantly in the New Testament there's this constant reminder of the good news of Jesus. You know, in many ways... The Christian message is that one song that we're all known for. That Jesus, the sacrificial lamb who gave up his life in order to save us. See, as much as Jesus is praying for his disciples then, I think it's still true for us. Particularly for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus This principle and truth is still true for us. We, too, have been set apart for the mission. It's not an option. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been recruited into this mission. This is what you've been signed up for. But also it means it needs to show a particular thing to to the world that is constantly watching us, that we are different. Let that settle in for a little bit. How How many of us really like to be seen as the odd one out? We are always being told to try to fit in. And you know what, what's happened with this, this idea of being setting apart, sadly, in the Christian world, what's happened is that has meant some people think being set apart means I don't engage at all in this world. So we hide ourselves completely with any kind of engagement in this world. In a sense, we retreat completely from this world. For some of us, setting apart means that setting apart is only for those special Christian things that we do. And actually between Monday to Saturday, if anyone in my workplace, school, uni, they wouldn't really know if I'm actually a follower of Jesus. There's a guy by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It's up here on the screen. This is a quote that he said. He said, God has set apart his people from before the foundation of the world – to be his chosen and peculiar inheritance. We are sanctified in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit when he subdues our corruptions, imparts to us grace, and leads us onward in the divine walk and life of faith. Christian men are not to be used for anything but God. They are set-apart people. They are vessels of mercy. They are not for the devil's use, not for their own use, not for the world's use, but for the master's use he has made them on purpose to be used entirely slowly and holy for him O christian people be holy for christ is holy do not pollute that holy day wherewith you are named let your family life your personal life your business life be as holy as christ your lord would have to be shall saints be shams when sinners are so real I can just imagine him, if you know about his history, it would have been this bellowing man who would have preached this with much vigour. See, it's a reminder of what actually it means to be set apart, that your life, my life, should look very different to the world that's watching in for the purpose of mission. See, friends, Jesus' prayer for his disciples of setting apart is actually not ultimately just about rules and regulation either we need to remember that if there was just simply that he would list them here i think see this idea of setting apart is a reminder of who they are that they belong to god they belong to christ this is why there's this language that we're not of this world because jesus has died for them and friends this is the same truth for you and i today This is why we say no to sin. This is why when we make decisions in life, it should take into account 100% what matters to Jesus because we belong to Jesus. It is motivated because of our worship and love for him, a saviour who gave himself up for you and for me so jesus prays for his disciples there now he moves to the future disciples disciples that means you and me in verses 20 to 26 jesus prayer request is for us friends if you look at these six verses they are beautiful wonderful verses by jesus See, in part, what we're seeing in this moment is a focus of Jesus' heart for the disciples that will respond to the good news of the gospel through the disciples that are present there. Eventually, to us, here in Australia, here in Melbourne, here in Kilsyth, wherever you are. And what's his request for us? What is he petitioning the Father for? even as you love me. One of the things I'm going to do when I get to heaven is ask Jesus about these tongue twisters that he puts in scripture. I think he had a bit of fun there. Friends, what's going on here in this moment is a prayer request by Jesus that for anyone who will respond to the good news of the gospel, what is his request? That they will be one. The way that Jesus describes this is actually quite fascinating. He's not speaking that they would wear the same clothes, checkered green shirts. He's not speaking that they would all speak the same language, all speaking in English, all Australian. Neither will they all be reading the same version of the Bible, like English Standard Version or whatever version that you are told, or that they belong to a particular denomination only. Jesus speaks of a uni that, that is quite unique. The type of unity that is displayed is actually a significant theological term. The example he gives is the triune God. As one commentator put it, we believe in one God, but different, meaning that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in three gods, we believe in one God. Now, the whole idea of theology of Trinity might be for another time, but it's a beautiful picture of who God is. In his very essence, there's distinctiveness there, but yet there's this beautiful unity. And Jesus' prayer is the same for us. That means it's a relational focus, just like the Trinity. Many years ago when I was involved with student ministry, One of the great joys I had was going to a student conference, and the student conference was always one of my favourite moments because you had students from all these different universities from Australia, you had people from different backgrounds and courses, and often we would have people who didn't know Jesus come to these conferences. And one of these times, one of the girls said to me, when I asked her, hey, what, what do you think about this? She said, I find it fascinating that all these people from all these different backgrounds and and upbringings, but there's this sense of unity here. What she was experiencing was what Jesus was praying for. It is a wonderful picture for them to see how can all these people from different backgrounds get along. And you know what, you've got to think about this for a moment. For the early church... You've got to imagine that the thought was that the faith can only come through a Jewish heritage. Now Jesus says, no, 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 it's opened up, meaning that it is only through me. I'm the one who gives eternal life. Anyone who believes, I will give eternal life to Whether If you're of Jewish background, non-Jewish background. So if you can imagine the early church being a mixture of men and women from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races... Being joined, united as one, and you would see that fulfilled. And you can read Acts, for example, to show you that, and there was still trouble because of the reality of what happens in any church community. But this is what Jesus has prayed for. See, this unity is quite distinct. It's based on the foundation and belief in the God of the Bible, in the God. That The Bible that describes here, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, not only that, it is in the distinct belief, exclusive belief, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So this is not calling for a unity for the sake of just unity. A few years back, I got an email from an organization in our area, and they were inviting me to be part of a dialogue and discussion. Actually, as I read more about it, it wasn't really a dialogue and discussion. What they were asking me to do was to come and pray with others who are from different uh, faiths. I had this moment of one, one part of me wanted to do it because of an opportunity, potentially share, but I realized there wouldn't be any opportunity to share with all of us praying, and I couldn't be part of it. Because we're not praying to the same God. Jesus' gospel is exclusive. This is not the kind of unity that Jesus speaks of. Friends, it's a reminder that true unity is around the very character and essence of who God is displayed in the Bible that we believe in. True unity is around the good news of the gospel displayed in who Jesus is. And that is the prayer that Jesus has for the church. Friends, if you ever want to know what is the biggest threat to any sort of um, Christian um, ministry or movement or local church, is division. Division comes through not recognising who Jesus is and the very authority that he has and his exclusivity. But not only that, it's a watering down. That's one way of bringing division. The other way of bringing division is when Our particular preferences triumph, triumph over truth. Friends, Jesus has prayed for us that we would be one. And you know what? When we see the brokenness of disunity happening in whatever community, even in church community, if that threat is there, it should actually break our hearts. Because you know what? Whose strategy that is? That is Satan's strategy. One of the ways that Satan will always work at is to bring disunity into a community that believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that has begun well before Jesus coming to the earth actually began in the garden. That was his mission. He brings disunity between husband and wife. He brings disunity against human beings and the creator of the universe. And that is littered throughout the Bible, constantly and over and over again. So any kind of disunity in a Christian community that acknowledges who Jesus is and what he's done should grieve our hearts. And friends, it does exist today, doesn't it? But friends, what we need to understand is actually when those moments happen, we need to understand it's not about just about Christians being at odds against each other. There's something far more greater at stake. What's at stake is the glory of God. That is what's at stake. Because, you know, there's a broken world that is so, got so much brokenness through this unity and it's all over the place and they're looking for something. They're looking for a united community that displays from different backgrounds and so on who who, who they're looking for this kind of community and yet when they see it within the church, they think, who are these people? They're no different from us. As one author put it, a guy by the name of Yancey Arrington said, God means to display his glory in the church before the nations so the nations will come to glorify him in the church. Friends, this is a deep prayer by Jesus. This is his deepest desire for his community who believes in him, who believes in the triune God, who believes in the gospel, that eternal life is only through him and by him. And this is Jesus' prayer for us to be united. I am so thankful for this prayer. Aren't you that Jesus has prayed these prayers? And this is what it means to be united for God's glory. What does it mean? How does it actually play out? Well, have a look with me on the screen in verse 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Friends, we need desperately Jesus' love, that same love that spurred him to head towards the cross on behalf of us, to be the very engine room of us being united friends in all of this in john 17 this prayer has been recorded for us not as much as a model but to be overwhelmed to consider and to be reminded of this that we need someone to step in we need someone to come on our behalf we need someone to intercede on our behalf to the father And there was only one jesus christ the one who is perfect, the one who is the only true God who not only receives our prayers, but even to this day continues to pray for us. Think about it for a moment, that we have someone in Jesus, the God of the universe, that we can not only pray to, but actually prays for us. You know, that is still happening today. Later on, the same author who wrote the Gospel of John would write this from 1 John 2.1. It's up here on this screen. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus is our advocate. He is the risen one. You know what that means for us? If you're a follower of Jesus... Maybe the simplest thing you can do for yourself this week is pause for a moment to consider that Jesus has given you eternal life. To enjoy it now. And I hope that's words of comfort, particularly for those of us who are a bit weary. And it brings you hope and comfort. Follower of Jesus, do we see ourselves set apart for the mission that's before us or is there other things calling us to set ourselves apart for those things do we have this in mind that we are a set apart people whether how we that that it's going to be displayed in the way that we parent our kids how we live in the seasons of retirement how we care for others around us how we run our own business how we're students at school at uni do we see ourselves as a people that have been set apart for the mission of Christ wherever we are and whatever season we're in and finally this week are we displaying the kind of unity Jesus is been praying for you know where it always begins it begins right at the home with your spouses with your kids played it out into your community just as Jesus prays for us, he gives us a great privilege, as honor, to join Jesus in his mission. And one way we can actually do that is to pray for the broken world around us to the one who still prays for us. This is what Jesus has done. Jesus has offered us eternal life. Jesus is the one who prays for us. Jesus is the one who calls us to be united just as him and the Father are united as one, as we live in this world on mission for him, for his glory. Let me pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we come before you, and I pray anything that was of any worth that was said this morning, would you use it for your glory alone? Anything that was said that was not of worth, would you make it all be gone? And Jesus, we thank you for who you are our great high priest who has prayed for the disciples then, who prays for for your disciples now. You've given us this great charge to be on mission with you to a lost world that desperately needs to know that eternal life is only found in you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless church.